0: Welcome to another episode of the Lights and Sirens podcast with your host, Bernie Robinson. Today's episode, we have a special guest. I have a fellow first responder, EMT slash RN slash congressional candidate joining us today. And we're going to talk to congressional candidate, Kevin Surdy. He's sitting here with me right now. We're going to go over. I know Kevin for a long time. Uh, We worked together as first responders in EMS and um, good guy, definitely. And when he called me and said, hey, I'm running for Congress, I, I definitely wanted to get, you know, I want to hear that. One of us is running for a public office, which is amazing, which is it's great. And definitely, I just, we wanted to catch up. I haven't seen him in years. Um, I think our paths crossed at Peconic Bay Medical Center a few years ago. And that's probably the last time I saw him. Uh, I was doing some work out there. Uh, he was working as an RN, but I'm excited to have him here with us and, and just hear what, about his experience, his first responder experience. So,
1: Kevin, thanks for joining. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to catch up and see you and happy for the opportunity. Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. So let's start. Um, talk about,
0: you know, your EMS career. How did you get involved
1: in EMS? So it was kind of by accident. Uh, I was 14 years old, and my dad had a friend that was working with the Glendale Volunteer Ambulance Corps. And I said, why don't you go down for one of their youth corps meetings? Uh, they had once-a-week meetings. I said, all right, I'll go check this out. I really had nothing else to do. Uh, so went down there uh, right into the Glendale Volunteer Headquarters and met with their youth corps, the youth corps president. I saw their EMTs, and I was just blown away. Uh, it was one of those places where you feel like you're in the right place for the right time. And we went over some basic first aid and I got to meet the team and we learned how to put people on a backboard. And I think what really sealed the deal for me is that they gave me a ride home in the ambulance. Yeah, and that was the first time I had ever been in one. And to really you know step in there and see the inside of 911, see the inside of first responders, uh, I was hooked from that first meeting. Uh, and I was a member of that youth corps for uh, up until I was 18 years old. So I started at 14. And we did programs such as uh, leaf cleaning in the community, uh, helping elderly people that couldn't uh, clean their leaves. We did the same thing with snow. Uh, we partnered with uh, the 104th uh, Police Precinct with NYPD and helping clean up graffiti, just making the town look nicer as well. And all the while, we got first aid training. You know, we learned how to um, you know, bleeding control, uh, orthopedics and fractures and trauma. And at a young kid at 14, that's an experience that I had never had before. Uh, 16 years old uh, became a certified first responder. So the volunteer ambulance corps sponsored you through the class, uh, and that's the same certification the firefighters have for FDNY. Uh, so I went through and you learned, um, you know, oxygen and cardiac, respiratory, you know, really that head to toe assessment. And when you're 16, if you had your certified first responder card, you were able to ride the ambulance now and respond to calls. So wow. I've been on an am- I'm 34 now, and I've been on an ambulance since I was 16. Um, and then 18 went and got uh, my EMT and then you became, uh, you know, the primary, uh, tech on the ambulance. So you had the driver, the tech, uh, and then we usually, you know, it's volunteers. So I had at least another person in the back as well. Uh, and just loved every single second of, it. We we're serving a community with the volunteers. Uh, we also linked with a lot of the other volunteer agencies around. And then I was lucky enough while well, I was in college and I got a job with Northwell Uh, working for, you know, the voluntary New York City 911 system. And, you know, people call 911 and we'd respond. And it was a career I had all through nursing school. And it was a fantastic experience. I wouldn't give it up for anything.
0: Wow. So, yeah, you talked about that you were an EMT. So you're working as an EMT and you're going to
1: nursing school. Was that full time? That was a full-time nursing school and worked per diem as an EMT, right. uh, but really full-time hours, uh, which was great. Worked out of uh, Forest Hills and LIJ hospitals. Man, all right. So how did that work out for your work-life
0: balance? Because that seems to be a big uh, <laughs> issue right now in <laughs> our field.
1: Uh, work-life balance is something I think we're all striving to achieve, and I'd love to find someone that really found it. Yeah, somebody that uh, <laughs> mastered it, right? Seriously, write that book, please. Uh, it was a great partnership being an EMT and Uh, Going to nursing school. So I was uh, nursing school at Molloy College full-time. And I was able to work, you know, a really flexible schedule with Northwell. They're great scheduling around the nursing schedule. I work primarily on the weekends. And I'd work either overnight shifts or day shifts or 12 hours. And it's just continual study. So everything that you're learning in nursing school, I'm seeing this when I respond to 911 calls. You know, you're working on a patient that's having chest pain. You know, we're learning about cardiology in nursing school. So I was able to combine the two, and it really enhanced All my learning uh, to see it first in real life what this looks like, and then in the books at school as well. Yeah, that's great, and that's one of the good things about
0: EMS. I always say is that you can. It's a great foundation for a lot of different pathways you want to take career-wise. So I've seen EMTs go to law school, become doc, you know, go to medical school, go to nursing school, go, you know, go into law enforcement. It's it's just definitely a great foundation, and even the medical schools now, right? Yep. Like Hofstra University, they start. their first year medical students, they go through EMS training. They're all becoming EMTs their first year, and then they do, you know, they ride on the ambulance with our uh, EMTs and medics at Northwell. So, you know, it's a great foundation. Absolutely. I, I want to get to this a little later, but it's I guess apparently it's a foundation for politics too. So we'll <laughs> get, we'll uh, we'll get to that in yeah. a, in a little bit. But something you said before. Um, you mentioned the youth corps, mm-hmm. and you know, with recruitment right now being as tough as it is, I don't know if you know the EMS industry as a whole. Even you know, it's they're going. We're going through a, a I don't want to say a crisis, but a, I guess a drought is a shortage of you know available employees. You know that want to work in this field, and we just can't seem to get them out there fast enough to get you know into the ambulances and, and get employed with us. So. How important is it, you know, being that you started in the youth corps, do you think that's a great place to start? Because one of the things I've been talking to some people about is start young, start pipeline programs, start, you know, youth programs. My department, we have an explorers program that we mentor high school students and try to steer them into the medical field, not specifically EMS, but it's a big part of
1: it. But how important do you think that is? I think if you can hit the youth early, uh, with this EMS piece and letting them know, you know, there's are options out there. There's a fantastic career you can have in medicine, whether it's EMS, nursing, physician, whatever it's going to be. Uh, you know, I think a lot of attention gets toward, you know, other first responders. Like, you know, little kids, want they know about being a fireman. They know about being a cop and uh, or a doctor, but really, you know, how many do you think they want to be an EMT or paramedic if it's not in their family, like they don't see this? Um, so I think being involved it early on, now, hey, this is an option. This is a place where you can learn life-saving skills And that's one of the things that really drew me to EMS was I always wanted to be the person that knew what to do, right? You're at a party, you're at an event and somebody goes down. I always felt like I needed to know what to do so I can try to help that person. And I've always felt that responsibility. EMS gave that to me. Uh, Not only does it give you the knowledge to help people out, it gives you a sense of community service. It gives you a a really a sense of who you want to be as a person. Uh, Because if you're a young age, you know, 14, 16 years old, you're very impressionable at that spot and if we can show you, hey this is a world of it's not just the medicine piece but it's caring for your neighbors you know people call nine one one at the worst part of their lives you show up they called you and you're there to be that calming presence to hold their hand to really you know say listen it's going to be okay or if it's not going to be okay let them know that also but that i'm here to help you i'm with you i'm not going anywhere and that translates to almost everything else in your life you know no matter what you do that core training really, you know, sinks in. If we can get that at a young age through Youth Corps, you know, I mentioned that we did, it wasn't only medicine, the Youth Corps, we did, we cleaned up leaves, we shoveled snow, we cleaned graffiti. You know, it's that person that you want to grow up to be that community servant, that, you know, person that doesn't just stop, you know, when the clock ends at work, they're always looking to do extra. Um, You know, it's great to the youth to let them know, hey, this is EMS, there is a fantastic career path with it, whether you go FDNY in the city career, or if you you know just do it as a volunteer and you do other things. But it's a great starting spot uh, for youth, I think. Definitely, and you mentioned in the family, like like
0: for me, I would not be an EMS if my father wasn't EMS. You know, he he was um, he's a retired lieutenant with FDNY, and that's the only reason I got into this field is because he made me. Otherwise, I would have not known how to get you know, in EMS whatsoever. So that's very important,
1: just access. Yeah, we had lucky. We had, It was a family friend that said, right. hey, come down for a meeting. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here today. Right, and and how many people on our job, their dads or their, you know, their
0: generations in EMS or PDE, you know, law enforcement or yeah. whatever. It's it's kind of like that. So yeah, no, that's great. Can you describe, I guess, your overall ex- experience working as a first responder? What would you say? Overall. I guess you kind of touched on that, but expound
1: on that a little bit. Like your overall experience as a first responder. I would say it's probably one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had in my life. You know, being that person that, when, again, when someone's in that dire part, you know, they think they're dying or they're hurt and they dial 911. To be the person that responds, that responsibility. Um, you know, it really makes you grow up fast. You know, I started this when I was 14, 16 years old, and I'm responding to some life-altering experience. And it was such a humbling place to be the person to help, to hold the hand, to really you know, be that person that's responding to them. And I remember one of my first calls uh, when I was working nine one one uh for Northwell, and I remember – responding. And, oh, well, you know, if anything happens, I, w- I could always call 911 for help. And I realized, wait a minute, I'm 911. And I remember that very distinctly realizing I am 911. I am that emergency response. And it really sat me back and said, wow, you know, everything I've done up to this point has prepared me for this, the training, the knowledge. And it's such a humbling experience to be that person that when someone calls for help, they know you're coming no matter what.
0: Yeah, I never looked at it like that, but
1: that's pretty deep. I am nine one one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's uh, you know definitely keeps me calm, and not only in medical emergencies, but if you look at the training as a first responder, and the stuff that we see on the outside, it, not everyone sees that, not everybody hears about the things that we see, and it really puts life in perspective for you. It makes you calm in almost any scenario. Uh, it teaches you how to be present. You know, we can always dwell on the past. We can look to the future, but just take life for what it is. Don't take it for granted. You know, tell the people that you love you love them because we know how many times you know, someone walks out the door, that's the last time you see them, and it really gives you that perspective of cherish life, cherish your loved ones. Um, you know, If you want to go do something, go do it, and it's really that place of being calm in an emergency. And if anything else is stressful in life, it teaches you as a first responder how to kind of put it through an assessment, right? What's the most important thing I have to do right now? What's the secondary yep. thing ADCs. I have to do? Yep. And it it, it it filters through everything else, not just medicine, which is great. Yeah, definitely.
0: And speaking of, I guess, staying calm in, in, a, in a tough situation – you recently had a situation, I guess, where you, you had to stay a little calm. and uh, You want
1: to tell us about that? Uh. Yeah, so uh, Friday night, uh, we gave birth, or well, my wife gave birth, to our third baby. Uh, so now we have two, bo- uh, two girls and a boy. Emma, Excellent. Ben, and Molly just joined us six days ago. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. It's, uh, it's one of the greatest gifts in the world. And you know, to have your baby come out right near Father's Day. You can't yeah. ask for a better Father's Day present. Um, yeah, I remember my wife uh, you know, said, you know, my water broke. And I said, okay. And of course you go right into husband mode, but you also go into ER nurse first responder mode at the same time. So I think I got my clothes on in about three seconds. <laughs> uh, you know, bags were packed, ready to go. So that's part of being EMS and first responder. You know, you, you check out your animals, you make sure you have your equipment ready to go. And our bags were ready, packed. And all we had to do was grab the bag and go out the door. Um, and water broke, and I asked, You know, you having any contractions? And she, she said, Yes. I said, Okay, this is a third kid. This baby's coming out like a slip and slide. Uh, so we need to go now. Um, you know, very calming with her. I said, All right, well, we're having the baby tonight you know, this could be a couple hours. This could be a short thing. We're not sure, but we're going to get our bags. We're going to go to the car and you're going to be just fine. I just want you to start. Let me know when you have a contraction, you know, and very calmly me on the backside, knowing, you know, Hey, I might, I might (laughs) deliver this on the highway. Uh, you know, I'm keeping track of the contractions as well. And it's all that training is that first responder EMS training that really, you know, makes you calm in situations like that where yes, it's your wife and yes, you know, I am. Gonna have a baby, so you have that emotional side going yeah. too. I'm all excited, um, but it's that working through your assessments and keeping yourself calm, uh, and certainly uh, being a certified emergency vehicle operator, as I am, yeah, <laughs> being trained to drive ambulances. Those skills, those skills. You know, a siren would have helped a lot. Um, but certainly, you know, we, we, I knew how to drive safely, you know, through an emergency, and just those skills that were taught to me early on. Uh, you know, you've mastered them over time, and I think everything I have today is from my early EMS training.
0: Definitely, definitely. And congrats again on on the newborn. Thank you. She
1: actually sleeps. So it's the best baby that we've had. (laughs) Very nice, very nice.
0: One thing we do as EMTs, as paramedics, as first responders, we are forced to make split-second decisions. Um, You know, we don't really have a lot of time to ponder what we're going to do. It's either this is what we think it is, and here's the protocol If this is what it is, this is what I do. And and I think after years of being in EMS for myself, that kind of overflows into my personal life. So there are times, I don't know about you, nope. but there are times when my wife and me just want to talk about something. And I'm like, oh, this is what you need to do. <laughs> and I'm going to fix it. And and I think we're wired like that. I, I mean, is, is does that go on with you? Because I know with me, that's definitely something I have to consciously, like, turn it off. And, like, you know, not be in first responder mode, let's fix the problem, but just, like, the husband, sit and listen. How does that, you know, is that something that you deal with?
1: Yeah, and it's funny that it's very hard to turn off that first responder mode. Uh, I remember for our first child, uh, my wife's in labor and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm an ER nurse also, so I've dealt with a lot of deliveries uh, in the ER uh, and as well as in the field with EMS. And I remember... Her, her heart rate started to drop a little bit. My wife's and the baby's heart rate started to drop a lot. And my wife was on her back, so immediately the nurse and I jump up. We go into nurse first responder mode. We flip her on her left side. We're giving her oxygen. Right. Um, you know. We're just, that's protocol for what you do and the heart rate drops. So we get her onto her left side and give her the oxygen. Everything gets better. And she looks up at me and goes, what the hell's going on? Right. I said, oh, sorry, I forgot. I'm the husband here. Uh, and I had to explain to her, you're okay. You know, you're just laying on your back. We had to flip you. You're fine. Um, you know, I also own you know, a small um, consulting company where I train okay. organizations uh, on leadership, development. And a lot of the stuff we talk about is wanting to fix the problem. And sometimes people like us, first responders, like you said, we make split second decisions and we honestly don't have a lot of time to sit down and talk about it. Uh, Because if we do, lives are at stake. If we talk about it too much, if we don't act, somebody could die. And that affects your personal life as well as professional. Uh, So in my other professional world, what we do is we actually train people that you don't want to just jump right in all the time. Even though there's a clear problem and this is a problem we want to fix. How many times have we been in a circumstance or an argument and somebody says, you know, we've had the same fight before. This is not the first time we've talked about this. It's because we never really got down to the real issue. What we've done is we just try to fix the problem. Hey, all right, here's a problem, here's the protocol, fix it, it's off. And we never spend time to really understand the other person or understand the problem. Uh, so I do teach techniques on how you work through that. You know, you commit to the other person, let them know, you know, it seems like we're fighting for different things or let's. I'm here with you to resolve this. And then we really seek to understand, you know, what their purpose is. You know, a lot of people will fight over, you know, what they think they want. And we ask the other person, well, why is it you want that? Like, what's your reasoning behind it? And until we can understand the full reasoning, sometimes it's hard to really fix the problem. Uh, so, in my professional life as a consultant now, teaching you know organizational leadership and success and communications, that has also come into my EMS first responder world too, where you're asking patients, I know you're here because your belly hurts. What are you afraid of? Like what do you really think it is to so kind of put them more at ease because you know WebMD is out there mm-hmm. and you have a lot of patients who are thinking, you know, this could be this could be it, you know, this could be the cancer or the heart attack, and I'm really scared. And now knowing that other side of seeking to understand why they're really here, why why'd you really call nine one one? and it comes down to the I I was scared. You know, every nine one one call we have, every patient that comes into the ER, they were scared at some point in the day and said, I'm coming to the ER or I'm scared, I'm calling nine one one, and we can be those people to say, I'm here. I have you. It's going to be okay.
0: As from what, it, from your vantage point, where you were working during COVID, um, what did you see, or how did it, you know, impact you?
1: Sure. Yeah. And as you said, COVID, COVID was only the most recent one. You know, we've been through so much. And we went through 9/11. We went oh, through yeah. Ebola. You know, there's exactly. all you every it's been waves and it's just the latest one we had was COVID. Uh, So in COVID I was working in the ER and the ICUs. Uh, I was right up close to patients that had COVID uh, these intubated patients. It was uh, something that we've never dealt with before. You know, this was a virus that we didn't know much about. This was, we didn't know how it was transmitted. We didn't really know how to treat it early on to be very honest. And I remember going into the hospital of knowing all right, you know, am I going to catch this? Is this something that I'm going to have to, you know, bring home to my family? Is it going to affect them? So we have all that thinking, and then the other side is, we've usually always known what to do. You know, you have someone whose heart's not beating, you do CPR. They're not breathing, you give them, a, you know, a buterol for asthma treatment. I remember sitting with the nurses and docs, and we were just brainstorming. He goes, we don't have a protocol for this. We don't really know exactly what to do. Exactly. And, and that was very emotional. And we did everything we could. And we were successful with a lot of the treatments, but the data wasn't there yet. Um, I remember one, probably the most heart-wrenching pieces I had was working in the ICU. And, you know, obviously visitors weren't in the hospital. And, you know, we're all gowned up. And you kind of don't feel like a person. Uh, you know, you have so many masks and goggles yeah, and nobody yeah. can really see you. Uh, and, you know, as so a nurse, we're always used to smiling and being present. And, you know, we had to hide all that under the PPE that we were wearing. So I'm all dressed in a PPE. I'm standing next to a patient that's intubated. And the family called and I said, can we talk to him? And so, well, you don't have a phone in the room, but I gave him my cell phone number. I said, call my cell phone number and I'm going to walk into the room and we're going to talk to your loved one. And I had the cell phone right next to the patient's ear. And of course, you know, it was all properly protected in a bag and everything. And I listened to the family talking to him and they're saying, get better. Come home to us. You know, you can do this. You're wow. strong. And I remember in that moment, you know, of course, tears are coming down my eyes at this point because I know that this patient is not coming home. Wow. You know, he's not going to make this. And, you know, I'm looking at the patient. I'm here in the family. You could just imagine, you know, the pain and suffering in the family not being able to be there and hold their hand. Uh, you know, that was my, you know, takeaway from COVID was that heart-wrenching. That family's not there they're not coming home. They can't see them. They couldn't say goodbye. You know, the last time they spoke to their loved ones, Hey, I'm going to the hospital. I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Um, you know, we can't thank the EMS enough. Um, you know, we we were in the hospital we were in the ER. We had room. I could leave the room of a COVID patient. Yes, it was everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, but you think about the EMS crews. you know, two, three people in the back of an ambulance closed, right? No air ventilation going into houses, going yeah. into houses. And yeah. you don't know the danger there. And I think that speaks to the heart of a first responder. You know, it's someone that You know, when the world's in trouble, first responders go. You know, we're not one that stays home and we don't hide from it. We respond. And it's that now in one response person, you know, hey, there's a worldwide pandemic going on. I'm going to work. I think it's so sad that sometimes it takes horrible things to happen for us to come together. And I'd love to see us all come together all the time. Uh, And that's, we are those people. We just need to remember this is who we really are. How did you get into politics? So I think it was a friend of mine 10 years ago, and we were probably talking politics at the table, and he said, we well, should run for Congress. And I think I laughed at him. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, okay, very funny. Uh, and looking back on it now, you always look back onto you know, what have you done in life that led you to this point today? And I can remember that dinner was probably the seed that was planted in my head uh, that this might be something that I should do. Uh, I really feel a responsibility you know, for everything that's happening right now. Uh, What got me into politics was seeing the current members of Congress, not all of them, but the majority of them, I think they've lost sight of their term title representative. Now, as you're a congressman, your title is representative, and I feel the majority of them are just representing themselves or they're representing themselves to get reelected, and they've lost sight of the people in the community and really representing the people that elected them, that voted for them. And if they've been in politics for so long, you know, six, 20, 30 years, you lose sight of the people. And so it got me involved in, you know, definitely working in COVID, uh, you know, watching on the news, seeing politicians fight each other while we're all donned in PPE trying to save lives. It really drove the, you know, I need to respond now. This is a problem. And if I just stood by and watched, you know, all these bad things continue to happen, you know, what kind of example would I be setting for my kids? And I've always had that um, you know, call to community service to serve your neighbors. And when you see something wrong, you need to stand up, you need to go. And that's that first responder in me where you know, you see something wrong, you go in. Uh, and that was my um, you know, first initial thought to run for Congress was I think representation has completely been lost and we need to bring back what a real representative could be. And as an ER nurse, a former EMT, uh, small business owner, you know, that real compassionate, holistic approach that I give to my patients, you know, it, I don't care what, you know, race, sex, gender, political views you have, you come to my ear, I'm going to try to save your life with every, you know, possible thing that I can. And that's the same kind of mentality I'm going to bring into Congress. You know, I represent the entire district, everybody that's in the district would have a voice uh, with me. Excellent. So something
0: you said, when um, I guess what inspired you was that one person just saying that, Little blurb. You should run for Congress. Right. And one thing I always say, you know, is that our words have weight Mm -hmm. and you can use words to encourage somebody or you can use words to destroy and build somebody down. And that same person could have easily just said, oh, you know, you're a jackass (laughs) and, and, you know, and just walked away. But instead they just dropped a little, hey, you should run for Congress. And that kind of sparked the seed. That's a great, you know, I guess, testament to, to that whole concept of using your word, your words do have power. Even just, you know, you never know how you're going to inspire or encourage somebody with something you could say, you know, right. and that, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Kudos to that person.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know, and that same person. You know, I asked me now that they know I'm running for Congress, well, why don't you run for something local, like smaller? <laughs> um, right. and I said, well, you know, I looked at that. Um, but really where I feel the problem is is Congress okay. and that's where I need to respond. You know, I think, you know, we're, in the local community, I think we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. I think where the real issue is is where they need, you know, a first responder to come help them out is Congress. Wow. So
0: clearly, yeah, this is definitely, I guess, an uphill battle, right? You're a new guy to the political arena. Mm-hmm. You're running for Congress. Where exactly? What district? Um,
1: what area? Yeah, so the the best part is I'm not a politician, uh, and that's what I think politics needs right now. I think we've had enough of the career politicians fighting for you know Democrat or Republican, and I think you need someone to fight for just the people. Mm-hmm. You know, and taking someone. I don't have any political agendas. You know, what I'm I'm, I'm a conservative Republican. You know, down the middle on a lot of issues. Um, I lean right a bit on economic issues, and what I really want to do is show people that I'm going to respond. You know, to you, I'm going to help you out, and you're going to be the voice in the district, and the district is New York three. Mm-hmm. Uh, it covers Suffolk, Nassau, and Queens. Uh, one of the great parts about it too, is most of the Northwell hospitals are in the New York third <laughs> district. We have uh, Manhasset, LIJ, Syosset, Plainview, Glen Cove, right. uh, you know, being a Northwell employee, you know, from EMS to nursing and administration. I was a manager of LIJ's emergency department for a bit. Uh, you know, I understand the healthcare system, uh, and I've also responded and treated the families of the third district. You know, people have called nine one. I've come to their houses. I also was an infusion nurse for a little bit uh, where I'd go to patients' houses and infuse chemotherapy and IV antibiotics and patients that weren't in the hospital, but needed care at home. Uh, And those are all people of, you know, the third district. I've been in their homes. I've cared from the emergency departments uh, and now I'm going to move forward and care for them in Congress. Excellent. You're a first responder, EMT, RN, dad,
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, running for Congress. And one of the your district covered is covered or covers the area that is covered by the largest health system in mm. in the Northeast, basically, right? And one of the big issues that that's a, that's out right now, especially after COVID, post COVID, is issues of healthcare disparities and, and the differences in in care. Is that something that you know? What can we do to address that? You know, as far as on a
1: political scale, what can how can we attack that? So, obviously, as the nurse and former EMT, healthcare is one of my largest platforms uh, that I'm going to be running on. And I think to fix healthcare, you kind of have to know what healthcare is. You have to be on the inside of it. Um, one of my biggest things I want to address is mental health, where I don't think we're doing enough for them. Uh, where I've seen in the emergency departments, uh, kids have been in the ERs for six days waiting for psychiatric care because they don't have the uh, outpatient care or there's not another facility to send them to. Uh, so one of the things we're going to partner on is the mental health care. We need to provide more care for them. And not only the patients that have mental health illnesses, but also you know, first responders that are going through stuff. You know, being that awareness, you know, police suicide is up. You know, PTSD is coming right around the corner for everyone that's been through COVID. Um, so mental health uh, facilities, mental health training For our first responders as well, Uh, we need to fund them and give them more education, you know, how to handle these mental health emergencies. They have great training so far. Uh, We just do more with it. Um, There's also a link between mental health and our drug and alcohol epidemics that are going on. Um, I have a proven record in the health system working with uh, SBIRT, right? Jo- uh, teaching patients, you know, there's other options besides alcohol and giving them alcohol treatments with brief interventions and treatment Dr. for them. Gabor and his team, right? Dr. Kabar, i worked yeah. with them uh, yeah. a lot. Uh, we actually enrolled the program at a couple of hospitals I was, I was in. Uh, also, early uh, drug identifications as well. Um, so, attacking, uh, you know, treating mental health increasing facilities for them and being able to have conversations with you know, healthcare executives, healthcare you know providers as a healthcare provider, myself as a nurse, I understand, right? And I've seen this firsthand of what happens to the patients and the families when they don't get the care because they keep coming right back to the emergency department because they're not getting enough care on the outside. Uh, so as a congressman, I would be able to sit down, speak with uh, you know, the local leaders and come up with a better plan of how to address mental health on the outpatient side as well as inpatient as well. As a nurse, though, I do feel that everyone should be able to entitled to healthcare. You know, as an ER nurse, you know, I feel like if your child is not breathing, we shouldn't be talking about money at this point. We shouldn't be talking about, oh, I can't afford this medicine, so I'm not bringing my kid. That I'm not for. Uh, And that is where I want to address healthcare on accountability for the pricing of uh, certain items. So if you're a diabetic, it is ridiculous the price of insulin that you have to afford. And if you're a lower income family, you should not have to decide that I can't take this dose because I can't afford the next one. If you're a diabetic, you can't miss your insulin doses. All right? And then it, if you think about it, all right, if this patient isn't getting all the medication they need, they come to the hospital and that's a very costly visit because there's a lot more treatment that needs to be done. It's cheaper for healthcare and all if we get the, the insulin at a cheaper price and it can handle it outpatient and it doesn't have the cost of all these, you know, Lengthy hospital stays, increased medications. Uh, so I want to uh, talk with drug companies, talk with hospitals, talk with the um, my fellow members in Congress to really address the pricing on a lot of our treatments and medications. Uh, you know, thankfully, you know people that have you know problems with drugs, we give Narcan away for free. You know, people that have addictions, you know, thank God we can save their lives. They can come get it at the hospital. They can get it in other places where families can hold on to this. Give them Narcan and save them. It's a wonderful program. Why can't we also do that with EpiPens? You know, we see how many patients that, you know, young, and you talked about disparities yeah. in healthcare. care, if you have a peanut allergy, you can't afford an EpiPen. For $800. Yeah, and it, it's not even if you take a peanut. Someone next right. to you could be eating a peanut and cause that life-threatening reaction. So families should not have to worry about spending $800 sometimes on an EpiPen. Uh, so those are the things I would work on, lowering the cost of some of these life-saving medications. Uh, probably the first two we look at would be um, you know, EpiPens and insulin. And just do accountability. Uh, but no matter where you're from, where you're at in life, you need to be able to come to an emergency department and seek care. And that's what emergency departments do. You know, we never turn away anybody. Uh, so we'll also work with opening, you know, clinics, uh, extra outpatient care centers. And I think we need to do a little bit more on the outpatient side than inpatient. We've seen Northville make a great move on that, you know, moving care outside of the hospital because not everything needs a hospital. Uh, you have telemedicine. You know, we have paramedics going to the houses that can handle the issues rather than come to the emergency department. Uh, we now have ambulances that have CAT scans in them, right? We can determine if we are having a stroke before we even get to the ER. So a big push for more community health care. Uh, Again, yeah, it's not Medicare for all. It's not, you know, United Healthcare that everyone just gets uh, free health care. I think there does need to be good programs for, um, you know, some capitalism in there as well. But with the understanding of, you know, we shouldn't turn people away. And medicine should not be so expensive that parents have to make decisions on. Can I get this operation? Should I take this medicine? And I don't go a little long here, but I had fr- a friend tell me that they had a group of moms. And, you know, they're teen moms, and, you know, they had their babies. Uh, you know, that's nothing easy to do. And, you know, all the kudos to them for being able to do that and having the child. And the group of moms got together and shared antibiotics because not one of them could afford it on their own. Wow! And, you know, it broke my heart to hear something like and these are nurses. You know, they, well, they were starting their career. Now they're nurses. Mm-hmm. And to make that decision, you know, it's one of the most unsafe things you could do is take other people's medicines. But to have to decide that, to give your child an antibiotic, you know, that's things that we need to address in Congress. We're one of the richest countries in the world. The fact that we can't give our kids medicine is beyond me. Um, you know, you still need to pay for it just not at the level uh, that we're charging right now. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, it's,
0: <laughs> that's a lot to take in. That's a, that's, that's a lot to tackle. Definitely, a lot to
1: tackle, but, and I um, think you know no other person could tackle that like I could because I'm on the inside. I know this. I've been through the hospitals. I've been through EMS. I understand. You know, I have a graduate degree in business. Mm-hmm. I've been in administration, so I understand the finance side of healthcare as well as the healthcare side of healthcare. And that expertise, uh, not a lot of people have that in Congress, and that's something where I can really you know bring my constituents of the third district, New York, and the country uh, to really make a push to improve healthcare all around.
0: And you shouldn't, like you said, medical decisions should not be dependent upon money. Kevin Surdy, running for Congress, District 3. District 3, Suffolk, Nassau, and Queens County. It's been a pleasure having you with us today. Anything that you want to, parting
1: words, you want to say out to the... uh, gang out here at Lights and Sirens Podcast. Yes, yeah, so I'll say thank you so much for your time, uh, and I'd love to have your support. You know, ER nurse, a fellow first responder, uh, you know, I've, I've walked your walk, I've been on the ambulances, I've been on the calls with fire and PD. Uh, I've seen how things happen in real time. I've seen it happen on the streets, I've seen it happen in the ERs. So, you know, sending me to Congress uh, is certainly a, a benefit to healthcare and first responders, so I'm very much looking forward to your support, and looking forward to hearing you. Uh, if you don't like my Facebook page, Kevin Sir- 30, S-U-R-D-I. Uh, you will know, put some links on the podcast as well, and take a look. And feel free to contact me. Awesome. Once again,
0: thanks for joining us, Kevin. Thanks so Bad much, Byron. It's great catching up to you. Same
1: here. All right.